You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Junkyard Dogcast. excitement level life for you well i needed you to say that because i i got an email right before we hopped on here that the img academy thompson game that i was going to got canceled on thursday night because of the hurricanes that are coming into florida so i had that little you know bum me out a little bit now you just pick me right back up because i remember it's georgia game week and that's what everybody is here for that's what everybody cares about and i'm just really excited to be actually talking game talking ball um you know not doing some of the the off-season buzz stuff that we've been doing for a few months now. Yes, it it gets tiresome after a while. And, uh, yeah, you know the week's different. Like, before I got on this call, we were on a Zoom with UT Martin coach Jason Simpson. Got some good stuff out of that from him. Um, We'll have a chance to do more interviews with some players and Kirby Smart the next couple days. Uh, It is here, and and, uh, it's an exciting time, no doubt. So the crux of this episode is going to be something we did last season, uh, just before the season. It's going to be our stat over unders. Uh, we went through Ben and I worked together on uh, setting a number for several of Georgia's players, and uh, we're going to put those numbers up there in this podcast and just sort of debate back and forth what we think, uh, who is going to hit what numbers. I think probably the most interesting thing to me when you get toward the bottom. Uh, and toward the end of this episode, we're going to talk about the offense and defense, how good we basically think to be this season. And I feel like we'd be remiss not to start with uh, one of the players that's been talked about quite a bit this offseason, Carson Beck. Uh, so we've got two stat lines that we're going to tackle, and we're going to start with passing yards. The over-under we set for Carson Beck is 3,500 passing yards this season. I'll start with you, Ben. Are you going over or under? 3,500 passing yards for Carson Beck. Um, well, for starters, I think I'm pretty sure you all brought me on board specifically to for this degenerate episode where we just talk about the, these over-unders. I was made for this. Um, let's see here. I'm going to go over with Carson Beck on the on the passing yards. I think 3,500 is a good number. I just feel like, and we've talked about this, so I'm like, I feel like George is going to have to open it up a little bit more, and we'll talk about this as it relates to some of the other over-unders that we do as well. But I, I just think that there's going to be more wide receivers on the field than normal, and I think that's going to lead to more passing uh, yards for Carson Beck. I think he's going to be able to push the ball downfield. So I'm going to go over 3,500 for Carson. I believe I am as well, and I was honestly, when we were looking at these numbers, tempted to put that number a little higher. If you remember, in last year, Stetson Bennett was the first Georgia quarterback to ever get 4,000, and I was thinking, 
Yeah, do we set it at like 3,700, 3,800? I think 3,500 is a fair spot to put it for a first-time star. And, you know, with the schedule, maybe he's not in the game a whole lot in some of these blowouts. Maybe that affects the final number. But I'm going to go over, I think you hit on a big point there, Ben, is the fact that we don't know how much they're going to be able to rely on the running game and they're going to have to throw the ball. The over-under also with Carson Beck, 23 touchdowns, and we were kind of working on this and trying to to hit what we thought was a fair spot to put it. 23 touchdowns, are you going over or under for Carson Beck this season? Yeah, I'm going to reiterate a lot of the things I just said about the 3,500 passing yards, and I know I, I sort of had to coerce you, I think, to for us to move it up a little bit just because – I think that he's going to hit that over pretty convincingly, even at 23. I mean, I think that, again, George is going to have to throw the ball more. I think that the a lot of the objective of this season is to put a lot of those narratives to rest as well. And I think Carson Beck's the quarterback that allows you to do it. And I think you've got the weapons on the perimeter that allow you to do it. So I'm going to go over for Carson Beck on the 3,500 passing yards and the, the 23 touchdown passes. I'm going to go over as well on the touchdowns. I really think if the running back room was healthier, I would go probably slightly under. I would say maybe 21, 22 touchdowns. But when you got a lot of questions at running back, it feels like, to your point, Ben, uh, that they're going to have to throw the ball and that they're going to have to uh, rely on him even if they get in the red zone. They're, they're, they're really working to get those guys healthy and need to figure out how exactly they're going to do that. Uh, speaking of those running backs, I, I thought this, this one – is really one that I could go back and film. Uh, we did not designate a specific player, but we said the leading rusher for Georgia, whoever it winds up being, will they have more or less than 780 rushing yards this season? I'll start with you, Ben. Are you going over under 780 rushing yards for the leading ball carrier for Georgia this year? I struggled with this one just because – of what we've heard about Dejon Edwards health recently. I've talked, we've talked about this in the past. Like I think that Dejon Edwards is an art running back one type of guy. And I think that he's, he has that ability to have that production now with the MCL injury that he's dealing with, how much does that set him back early in the year? But I mean, this is a guy that last season was in that around that 780 yard mark. And from a yards per carry perspective was almost identical to Kenny McIntosh last season as well. So I feel like, the conversation around Dejon Edwards has been a little bit miss. Um, it's just been, it's been misrepresented in my opinion, but with that injury, it makes me wonder a little bit. I think that because of all the various names that we've heard, I am going to go under 780, but probably just a hair under 780, but I do expect Dejon Edwards to be that leading rusher. I know that wasn't part of the uh, ex experiment, but I, I did want to just, you know, call out. I do think Dejon Edwards will be the leading rusher this season. Yeah, that was a point I made. Sometime this offseason, I went through and sort of predicted who would wind up being, obviously, leading passer like Carson Beck, leading receiver, leading ball carrier. And I agree. I think it will be Dejan Edwards. And I'm going to go slightly over. I think that, you know, obviously there are questions about Dejan Edwards. He's been to Kirby told us on Monday that he's dealing with an MCL. But I think he's going to get enough touches. And I think eventually, especially if they kind of hold him back early in this season, uh, that he's going to come into form and, uh, you know, I, I don't think it's an exaggeration an exaggeration to say that Jordan needs to be able to run the ball, even if they throw it a whole lot more than we're used to. They need a guy they can rely on. And to Dejon's credit, he's one of those guys that they relied on quite a bit last year, especially when Kenny McIntosh got banged up early when Kendall Milton was dealing with injury. I think Dejon will be the leading rusher. 
and I think he'll just get over that 780 rushing yard mark and uh, lead the way for the running backs this year. What I think will be interesting too is the not just you know what will the leading rusher be able to get to, but also what is the sort of floor for the various running backs that they have because they've talked so much about the committee approach and even someone like Andrew Paul I think is fully capable of having a 500 plus yard rushing season and maybe they end up having you know a variety of guys that hit a very you know a significant floor even if they don't reach that high of a ceiling and I think that's sort of the discussion around the running back room right now yeah i think it's fair and too if you wind up you know hitting those numbers or rushing for however many yards per game they'll be perfectly happy if it takes three or four guys to do it rather than one guy that you know it traditionally you would see be around that a thousand yard mark uh going to another one that i think is really interesting and quite frankly ben i, I don't know if i've really made up my mind about uh, we've got two different options, Brock Powers. We're going to start with the receiving yards. Uh, I've got the over-under at 970 receiving yards for Brock Bowers in his junior season. Uh, how are you feeling about that? Where are you going with Brock? I feel like I don't want my answers to feel like I'm sliding Brock here, but I think it more has to do with the fact that there's a few things at play. One, I think, as I've mentioned already, Georgia's wide receivers are as deep as they've been. And I think that Georgia is going to try and get receivers on the field and get them involved in the offense as much or more than they ever have. So I think that's a big thing at play here. The other thing is the don't, the no Darnell Washington factor is something that I think is going to take a lot of us time to realize how much of an impact that really is going to have. I mean, Kirby smart sort of out of the blue yesterday brought up 12 personnel and how you've really got to feel like you've got three guys waiting around to be able to play to be able to be running 12 personnel like that and he I don't know that they feel that way right now with loss and lucky out so I think we're just going to see so much less 12 personnel than before that I think George is going to be asking Brock Bowers to be doing things not just in the passing game that they've asked then they've maybe asked him to do in the past because Darnell Washington has relinquished a lot of that responsibility off of, of Brock. So again, I think that 970 is a good number. I think it's going to be close. I think that he's also going to be asked to be get involved in the running game, not as a running back, but just on some of those speed sweeps like that we've seen with Ladd and Brock in the past, that I think they'll use some of that to offset the thinness at the running back room a little bit too. So I'm going to go a hair under at 970. Um, and I, I think it has less to do with Brock's ability or whether he has a less productive season, so to speak, more so just the nature of how this team is put together. I agree wholeheartedly. I'm going to go under, I think one with what you're saying, what he's going to be asked to do, you know, as I asked on Monday, Hey, if, if they were to put you at running back, would you be up for it? And he basically said, you know, wherever they need me, I'll, you know, I'll go play, which didn't surprise me one bit. And two, my thing too, is they have so many options in this passing game. And, you know, Something that Georgia has gotten attacked about. Um, I know negative recruiter passes. Well, you know, they haven't had a thousand yard receiver uh, in so long. You know, well, I think a big part of why that will be the the facts this year is they have so many options. I really do. And you'll see that in a few uh, moments when we get to the next player. Uh, I, I think that they're going to spread the wealth around and, and get different guys involved and not have to just rely on a Brock Bowers to, you know, have 180 receiving yards in a game. They've got other guys they can lean on. Um, but I'm going to go under on those receiving yards. Now, the number of touchdowns, I, I this one is, I think, another one to really kind of 
kind of rack your brain about eight touchdowns, uh, and that's receiving touchdowns. Okay. I do want to clarify. Yeah, so not just not just rushing because I think he probably will find the end zone once or twice that way. Um, over under eight receiving touchdowns for Brock this year. That was going to be my question because I saw in the text that it said catches. And so I was going off of that and I am going to go under on the catches for all of the reasons that I've mentioned already, just around the receivers and how I think that they're going to get more involved and they're going to try and get as many people touches throughout the year as possible. I do think that if we're factoring in all touchdowns at that eight number, I probably would go over. I mean, I think last season Brock had seven receiving touchdowns, 10 total touchdowns. I think that's similar to the ballpark that we'll be looking at. So I'm going to go under on the receiving touchdowns just a hair, but then I would go over on the total touchdowns. I'm going to go over the eight touchdown catches just because I see him really being a red zone guy. And, and what's going to be fascinating early in the season and probably uh, the most interesting is that week three, against South Carolina to see who Carson Beck is relying on, especially when they get in the red zone. And it feels like to me, Carson uh, could really look at Brock Bowers as that guy, as the guy like, Hey, you know, it's third and goal. We're at like the eight. I'm just going to throw it to number 19, see what he does. Uh, I think he'll get over slightly. I'd say probably nine touchdown catches. And, and like we've talked about, he's got a chance uh, to get involved other ways that may wind up getting him in the end zone. I want to see if they're going to let him throw once or twice. You know, I mean, he, he's done everything else. Let him let him see, uh, let him show off that arm he's got. Exactly. So the last offensive over under that we've got, this is kind of one that I wanted to throw in there, and it's Dominic Lovett. And to me, he's sort of the wild card of this offense. We think he's going to start. He looks like he's poised to be that starting slot receiver. But how involved is he going to be? I set the over-under at 700 receiving yards, which is quite a bit of yardage. And I'll start this one, Ben. I'm going to go over. I think he is going to be the leading receiver behind Brock Bauer. That's not to shade Lad McConkey. That's not to shade any of the other guys. I am convinced that Dominic Lovett's got a chance to have a really, really productive season. I'm expecting that he could be an all-SEC receiver. I think he's uh, that kind of talent and that guy that's going to get involved in a big way. So I'm going to go over 700 receiving yards for Dominic Lovett in his first season at Georgia. What do you make of that number? And what do you think about Dom's chances? I think that's a very fair number. I'm very bullish on Dominic Lovett as I need, I remind you or reiterate yet again, that I took Dominic Lovett with my first pick of the breakout players draft. I think that like you, he's going to be Georgia's leading receiver. And I'm actually going to go a step further when I hit the over. I do think Dominic Lovett's going to break the 1000 yard threshold. I think that he's going to wow. be the player that finally puts that narrative to rest. I think that there is a, very strategic reason why Georgia felt that they went out to go get him. I think that the one potential setback on hitting that 1000 yard number is like everything that I've mentioned. There's so much depth in that receiver room and you've got the best tight end in America. And because of that, will Dominic Lovett get the, the touches or get the targets that he needs to get to get to that 1000 yard mark. If he does get the targets necessary, I think, his yards per catch is going to be great. His yards after the catch is going to be great. I think that he's going to be utilized very regularly early on. Um, I don't think that he's, I don't think there's any concerns there about him being, you know, the so-called new guy on the team. I think that he is as advanced as anyone from a preparation standpoint. And so I really do think that he's going to have as good of a year as, you know, and we've seen from a Georgia wide receiver. Take a quick break, come back, and look at the defense and some of the players on Bulldog defense and uh, break down some of the numbers. eBay Motors is here for the ride. 
Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everybody. Well, yes, we're going to go to the defensive side of the ball with these over-unders, and we're going to start with Jamon Dumas-Johnson, very productive tackler, second-leading tackler last season. And I kind of feel like these first two are sort of combined because I think they sort of rely one after the other. Uh, that second being Spell Munden, and we'll get to him in a moment. Uh, but Jamon Dumas-Johnson, I set the over-under for 75 tackles this season. Ben, are you going over or under 75 for Pop? I might you surprise people with how I end up doing these two, but I'm actually going over on J- on Jamon Dumas Johnson. I think that, you know, I think that would, I think he would have hit that over last season if I'm not mistaken. Um, but I also just think that this defensive line this year, I do not expect to be as ready early on as some of the defensive lines that we've seen from Georgia. Do I think that that's going to be a problem or a longstanding issue Absolutely not. I think that's a defensive line that's going to very much find its own throughout the year. But as a result, I do think early on, you know, assuming that Jamon Dumas Johnson and Smile Munden are both playing, Smile Munden's the bigger concern there, I suppose. I do think that they're going to be able to hit those numbers. I think that they're both all SEC type of guys. I think that Smile Munden in particular, if healthy, can really play himself into a very, very high draft pick here. So um, I'm going to go over for Jamon Dumas Johnson, and I hope that it doesn't tip my hand for what my next pick's going to be either. Jamon had 70 last season. I think okay. you had asked about that. So, you know, I think that's very fair. Uh, I'm going to go over as well, and I think we're kind of on the same page, and, and I think it would be fair just to go ahead and talk about the next guy, Smile Munden. We set the over-under at 65, and I think it all boils down to availability. Not only availability, but how soon Georgia is going to sort of push the issue with him coming back. Um, but Ben, I'll start with you on Smile. Over our 65 tackles, uh, how do you see that playing out? If Smile's healthy the whole time and he can go the whole way, I think that 65 is an easy – I mean, I think that's easy money for Smile Monday. I really do. I mean, I think that when I look at the upside between he and Jamon Dumas Johnson, like from a draftability standpoint, I think that Smile Munden has that you know, similar maybe to, and I mean, different types of players, but similar maybe to the Quay Walker, Nicobe Dean, where, 
you know, you view Nicobe Dean as sort of the face, the head of the defense, but when it came down to it, NFL scouts really loved what they saw from Quay Walker. I think that the same is going to be said about Smile Munden, and I think that he will hit that number, but that is, I, I you see the face that I make when I say that it's because I'm not 100% sure whether he's going to be ready to go the first couple of weeks or to what his availability is going to be. Yeah, I mean, it all comes down to availability with Smile. I, I'm going to say he goes over. I'm going to say that he hits that. But I will say with both of those linebackers, sort of alongside with Smile being banged up and seeing how he does, is Xavion Story. I think we could see him quite a bit, and I think he impressed in spring. Uh, I, I think between the two, to be truthful, I feel a little bit more confident in Smile hitting 65 than Jamon hit 75 in it kind of just comes down to how athletic smile is he is all over the field and i think that both are very capable of hitting those numbers uh, but you know Xavier's story in there it really interests me on um, just what sort of the snaps look like and what they're able to accumulate over the course of the season you bring up a great point there because with he J jalen walker maybe even some of the freshmen if they can get involved i mean it's a very deep room that georgia has a lot of faith in and so Given the schedule, and I know Kirby Smart will never talk like that, but given the schedule, what it might present them the opportunity to rotate guys, it could limit statistically some of what Dumas Johnson and Smile at Munden are able to do. Going to that defensive line you mentioned a few minutes ago, Michael Williams led the team in sacks last year with 4.5 sacks. So I've set the number at five sacks for the sophomore. Basically saying, is he more productive in terms of getting sacks this year, or is it about what we call last year? So then I'll start with you. Over under five sacks for Michael Williams this year. I am going to go over on that, and I'm doing that solely because I just wrote the article about Georgia players talking about this offensive line and Warren Brenton talking about how they really never get this offensive line clean and that Micah Williams might have gotten them clean twice throughout camp. So I'm just banking on Warren Brenton's words. I'm taking – Warren Brinson at face value saying that Michael Williams might be the only defensive lineman around that's good enough to beat this Georgia offensive line. And if that's the case, I think that he can get to five. I'm going to go over. And I think part of it is what you just mentioned. And it also goes in line with George's competition. I think that uh, the offensive line uh, that he has faced throughout the off season is probably the toughest he's going to face for quite some time this season. So I think he's going to get after a lot of quarterbacks. The one thing that, you know, I, I kind of went back and forth on this one, but I could see several guys sort of back to when we were talking about running back, accumulating those pass rush numbers, different guys getting sacks, things like that. But I'm really high on Mikel. I'm always going to rep the Columbus guys after spending time down there covering high school sports. But I'm going to go over as well. I think Mikel has got a chance to be a hellacious pass rusher, and I think he's got a chance to have a really good season. I like that. Going uh, to the secondary, this is the last of our players that we are looking at, and uh, is Javon Bullard is going to be moving from star to safety. Set the over at two and a half interceptions. I believe he had two interceptions last year, and uh, I think they both came in that national title game. Uh, how are you feeling about Javon? Would you go over or under two and a half interceptions for him this season? I battled with this one probably harder than all of them. Just be, I mean, for so many reasons, one, we're going to see him in a new spot this year. So how is he going to look and how comfortable is he going to be early on? I tend to think he's going to be pretty comfortable back there. And then I go back to the fact that he, he made plays all season long, but he 
only had two interceptions, but that also happens to be the most recent game that we saw. He had both of them. And so do I think that he's the guy that isn't going to have interceptions, but it's going to make plays over the course of 14 weeks, or is he the guy that's going to make two interceptions in a game? Cause if he has a two interception game this season, I feel like he's going to hit that two and a half over pretty easily. So, Oh, I hadn't even decided on this one until we got here. I think I've been going over a little bit more than I probably should, but I think I'm going to go over on Javon Bullard again, maybe just by a hair. But I think on that back end, I think that him and Malachi Starks are both going to be turnover machines this season, not, you know, forcing fumbles as well. Like I think that's the type of guys that they are. And I think having both of them back there probably opens up opportunities for Javon to have a few more. So yeah, I'll go over just narrowly. I'm going to go over, but I do think this is one of those that's very competitive, and it kind of goes to what's really interesting, and I don't want this to sound like it's a knock on the Georgia uh, defense, but if you look over the course of a season, a lot of time they don't have a lot of turnovers, and a big part of that is, well, a lot of teams don't sustain drives. They don't have a whole lot of opportunities to fumble the ball or throw interceptions. I'm going to go under. I kind of feel like a guy like Kamari Laster could – sneaked up and wind up leading the team in interceptions with probably three or four. Uh, but I think Javon is fully capable. Uh, that's one of those things with these numbers. You said it where you're going, man, I, could, can I get a different number at that? Because I think Javon is going to be very productive. And, and Ben, I want to get your thoughts on this too. How do you think he will handle moving to safety? I, I think he's do really well, uh, but wanted to get your thoughts. I do think he's going to do really well. I mean, he was someone that very early in the year last year, somewhat surprisingly, I would say, really impressed just with everything that they asked him to do and then how successful he was when he was asked to do it. I mean, it just felt like, I mean, obviously, we all know him rushing the passer out of the slot was pretty deadly last season. Like, he, they implemented that multiple times and he was successful virtually every time they asked him to do it but he started making plays in the passing game late in the year that I think sort of give you an idea of what we can expect from him at safety I don't like to play favorites but when it comes to Georgia players right now and like leaders and things like that like I really do think that Javon Bullard is as good as Georgia's got right now when it comes to every box that you want checked and tangibly, athletically, from a leadership sp- standpoint, I think he really hits all of those things. So having him and Malachi Starks back there at safety, I think is going to be as good of a situation as Georgia's had at safety, period, under the Kirby Smart era, and I'm really excited to watch it. Yeah, I think he's got a chance to be very, very productive, and it's going to be something uh, fun to watch, especially early in the season as we see him settle in. So now both of these final over-unders are looking more big picture, and we're going to start with the offense, and this is going to be points per game. Over-under of 41.3 points per game. And first, Ben, do you know the significance of I picked 41.3 points per game? Is that Bobo's number as last year as OC? That is the record, 41.3 points per game that Mike Bobo's last offense set at Georgia. So do you think this will be record-setting offense in terms of points per game? Are you going over under 41.3 points per game? I should have known that's why that was the number. And until you asked the question, it really hadn't resonated with me. But now that you mention it, I think I have to go over. I was actually going to go under, but I think I have to go over just because in my opinion, what Georgia has from a weapons standpoint now compared to then is is better. I mean, I think there might be some questions about what Carson Beck's going to bring 
as the new starting quarterback, but I tend to think what they're going to be able to do in terms of pushing the ball downfield is more than what they've been able to do for most of the Kirby smart years. And so because of that, I'm going to go, I'm going to go over the 41.3. I was probably going to go narrowly under, I was thinking, you know, 39, 40, but now, now that I know the, you know, spirit behind the number, I'm going to hit the over. Yeah, I planted that little nugget for you uh, there. And uh, do you think that uh, it's a very interesting number? And obviously that would be a huge accomplishment. I'm going over as well, and there's two parts of it. One, I keep going back to February when Mike Bobo was hired. I talked to David Andrews. Obviously he's been in the NFL for quite a while, played for Mike. And, you know, he basically said, and I'm paraphrasing here, you know, we had a lot of talent back then, don't get me wrong, but what Mike's going to be working with now compared to then, like, there's no comparison. And so that made a big impression on me. I mean, that was a guy that, you know, he was blocking for guys like Todd Gurley and, you know, got to see. It wasn't like they were uh, totally uh, bereft of talent. They had a ton of people, and I think that that spoke very highly. And two, just quite frankly, been the schedule. I think this schedule sets up for this to be a high-powered offense that's able to put up points. I think you consider that and you consider uh, if there are some of those high scoring games, say if they go to Knoxville and in a shootout, um, I think there are opportunities for there to be a lot of points scored. And I think probably bigger than that, they have the skill players I feel confident can put up those kind of numbers. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with you and I think that, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm in, in complete agreement with you just from the talent standpoint and um I guess the one area of concern might be does Georgia take the air out of the ball in some games just because of the nature of the talent discrepancy and whether that, you know, limits them in terms of what they're able to get. But even so, I mean, the 40, the 40 point mark is sort of felt like a trend that's been growing for Georgia that, you know, the 40 point mark seems like a pretty fair number that Georgia can get to on a consistent basis. So. So the other side of all the defense will give up more than 15.0 points per game uh, I'll start this one Ben I'm going to go under I think a big piece of this again is uh, the competition now there is that possibility with some of these games when you have like a UT Martin a Ball State a UAB uh, that you have backups come in and you give up some points and obviously you know we're flirting with just a little bit over two touchdowns a game that's not the sign of a bad defense if you give that up uh, but I'm going to go under. I think that this defense is in a very good position uh, to make some noise again, to be one of the nation's best. I mean, it's it's just what you expect at this point with this defense and the talent they have on it. Um, ben, where are you going? How are you feeling about 15.0 points per game allowed by the defense? And I should have done this research before, but I guess this is what the podcast is for, for me to ask the stupid question. What Do you know if there's when the last time a Kirby Smart defense didn't hit that under? That's a great question. They gave up 14.3 last year um, in 2020, and that's kind of a, a different year. You know, you consider that there were fewer games, but they gave up about 20 points per game. Huh. Um, but when you when you consider that, I would almost put an asterisk with that just because of the nature of that season. I mean, I think I'm going to go under because it's really felt like you know, 12 to 13 is sort of the number that George has hovered around pretty comfortably. And I, I, it's tough to say, because again, if you're, if you're scoring 42 points per game, the opponent's going to be throwing the ball. They're going to be trying to score points late in the game, but I think I'm going to go under. 
I think we agreed way too much on this, ben, yeah, but that's the nature easy. of it. And it, and it also, uh, you know, when, when you're looking at a team that we expect to be very productive, it's kind of in doubt, go with the over. Yeah, what, what did we dis- disagree on? I think just Brock Bowers' touchdowns. I'm doubting Brock, and, and you're not. Uh, I think there might have been a couple other ones I'll have to revisit because I'll definitely write these down because we will be talking about these at the end of the season and how this uh, all played out. Um, but for the most, I, I definitely I went under on Javon Bullard. I think that might have been the other one uh, with the interceptions. Um, so, so yeah, for the most part, I think uh, we're on pretty much the same page with these guys. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think it's going to be a good year for Georgia. I mean, I think that we we expect that we'll have our our season predictions article coming out later in the week, and that'll probably tell a similar story. So, before we end this episode, just wanted to uh, send the condolences from Junkyard Dogcast to the Sunny Siler family. Sunny passed away on Monday, ninety years old. Uh, the patriarch of the Uga mask the white English Bulldogs uh, that started in 1956. And uh, Sonny was a guy that was always around. Uh, if you were ever at the athletic board meetings, Sonny was always there with his daughters. I uh, wanted to send uh, our condolences because uh, that was something that was huge in the UGA at world and, and really the state of Georgia, somebody that people knew well and, uh, and uh, quite an accomplished man even beyond, you know, as I tweeted uh, on Monday after the news came out. Uh, other than just, uh, you know, having the most popular dog in the state of Georgia, uh, he was quite accomplished on his own. So I want to make sure and say that um, we are going to get out of here on that. I would tell everybody to keep an eye out on Thursday. Uh, we will have a predict podcast looking through game by game, uh, sort of how we see Georgia season playing out. Uh, we'll also have an article at Dogs 24 uh, 7 detailing the picks of myself, Ben, and Kip Adams and uh, have a chance to see how we see the regular season playing out for Georgia. I uh, wanted to answer a couple questions before we got out of here, too. From the chat, uh, someone asked, is Kendall playing on Saturday? Still don't know for sure. It did sound like they are more optimistic with he and Asian Edwards coming back from injury. I would be surprised if we see Kendall, and I think it just comes down to uh, trying to be smart and looking long-term with him. Uh, there was also a question about the kickers. Uh, Kirby was asked that on Monday, uh, said they really hadn't decided. I think it is pretty competitive between Jared Zirkle and Peyton Woodring. I'm leaning Jared Zirkle. He's the more experienced guy. I think that's where they're going to go. Ben, did did you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, just because we need to disagree some on this podcast. I mean, I'm leaning Peyton Woodring, and I feel, you know, I just think he's got the leg to do it. I know that we, Kirby struggles to trust a freshman kicker, I'm sure, but I think he's got the leg for it. Yeah, it's going to be something to watch, and it's one of those things, whoever starts that first game, if uh, they struggle along the way, they got another very capable kicker behind them. Uh, We're going to wrap up this episode. I appreciate Ben for popping on. I appreciate everyone who watched this live, who listened to it live, everyone who's checking this out after the fact. Be sure to go to dogs247.com and subscribe. We have had a ton of content, which you would expect game week, getting ready for the start of the season. Uh, and we will have more as well. And also be sure to go subscribe on YouTube to Dog 24 7. We've got all the press conference videos, all of these podcasts, uh, plenty of stuff to watch on there, and plenty of content to come. So for Benjamin Wolk, I am Jordan Hill. Until next time, take